0: What we're talking about today is knowing, being known, and making known. Knowing, being known, and making known. You may want to say one word would be relationship. Knowing, being known, and making known. And the idea is this, is that Jesus, very simply, we're talking big picture here today, but it's also intensely practical and actually very simple. That Jesus came to restore us into relationship with God. That's what he did. I know we all know that. I feel like I'm kind of preaching to the choir with this crowd. Um, But the simplicity and power that he just came to restore us to relationship and that everything in the kingdom of heaven is relationship. That's what it's about. We make it about doing stuff and about trying to please, trying to perform, trying to tick boxes, trying to... And and the whole thing is about relationship. It's relationship between us and the Father, and then church is simply relationship. We make it about other things sometimes. And then the way that we fulfill our call, which has to do both with relationships in the church and those outside the church is done through the platform primarily of relationship. And so my prayer today is that we would hear and see the pattern of the kingdom of heaven and that pattern would be established in Border City Church, in our hearts, just as it is in heaven, that we would live from top to bottom, right to left, in the context of relationship, quality relationship. So, shall we get started? Jesus came so that we would have relationship with God. So just by way of reminder, we looked last week at this kind of loop that we talked about. Heaven connecting to earth. That heaven and earth had been disconnected by the fall and that uh, Jesus, his main role was to kind of like, almost if you can imagine, jumping out of heaven with a string and he comes down to earth and and he manifested in the earth heaven for the first time since The fall had happened. He manifested through his life, through his words. He was an exact picture of heaven. For the first time, because of a spiritual disconnection between man and God, man was able to see what heaven, what God looked like by looking at Jesus. Now, that could have been amazing in and of itself, but that's not where his story ended. In order to make that loop fully connect, to reconcile heaven and earth, earth to heaven, he had to go to a cross. And at the cross, he, 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 he represented both God and man and took care of both sides in the equation. What happened with man was that man had simply not trusted God. And we looked last week that that was rooted in simply believing that God would lie and ultimately that God doesn't really love us. And so, to dis- so, so so as a man, Jesus went to the cross to fully trust God the Father even unto death. He undid, knowing that his Father loved him, undid what man had done at the fall when, when he ate the fruit that was forbidden. But he also took care of God's side because there had been a lie that had been perpetuated in the hearts of mankind that even, can I say, whispers still inside of every one of our hearts and minds that God doesn't really love us. Therefore, God can't be really trusted. Now, I know none of you have ever had that thought. You're all, you know, I I can see the wings behind all of you and the halos. (laughs) But... A lie had been perpetuated about the nature of God. And though he didn't have to, what Jesus did as God was showed us that not only will I obey my Father and trust him unto death, I will love you when you're the one who messed up. I will take responsibility and bear your punishment. I will spare no expense so that if by any means you can be reconciled and made right and see that I love you. And at the cross he took both of those things and then of course he raised from the dead after being buried and he ascended up to God They took that string if you will and he went all the way back up meaning that the loop had been completed. Now the pathway had been made both up and down for that which was in heaven to come into the earth and that which is in earth to be in heaven and all of it was for the sake of relationship. You following? And if you'll look with me and uh, if the AV guys can just put up there's some scriptures For today, we'll start, we're going to just touch on and go back, just like we did last week, to Genesis chapter 1, in the beginning, and look at the origin, the creation, the original pattern of mankind. (laughs) So I'm, I'm going to trust that you have a Bible app or a Bible, physical Bible or something. Let's look at Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 and 27. I'm going to cut out some parts just for time's sake. It says, then God said, let us make mankind, listen to this, in our image, in our likeness. Those are such important words. Skip down to verse 27. So, God created mankind in His own image. In the image of God, He created them. male and female. The idea here is that up to this point in creation, God had created things with the ability to bear fruit after their own kind. And you and I both know that in all of vegetation... In, uh, that there is seed produced by plants that have a genetic code inside of them and though that seed doesn't look anything like the plant itself there's a genetic code that when planted that seed has the ability to grow up into the exact not the exact exact but to the same um, I want, it's kind I want to say kingdom, final, order species I don't remember what it would be some of you smarter ones would know But an apple tree is going to bear fruit of an apple tree. An an orange uh, seed is going to bear fruit of an orange tree, and so on and so forth. And here at the end of creation, God is saying, let us make this last final kind after our own kind with the ability to reproduce in our image. In other words, what I'm wanting to hear is just like that orange seed would be looked at as like a second generation of the orange tree, We are the children of God. We're his offspring. Created not to just be a plant in the in the ecosystem. We're created alone to have spiritual union, connection, fellowship with God. And we remember from last week that when he created mankind and he looked, he didn't say it was good, it was very good. It had been completed. This was my point. I want you to take note, just pause for a minute right here. This is and always has been God's purpose, God's heart towards you. There's nothing more important to him than you. Yeah, but I sinned last week. I know. And he knows. He knows and his response to your sin is Jesus. Jesus. Can I say, his response to the sin of the people out in the world who don't know him that irritate us mm. is Jesus. Amen. And oh, if we could just grab a heart of his love for us, that that love, like is happening through Rebecca, would shine because we have mercy. We know we've been forgiven. All we can do is just shed mercy to others and love and acceptance to others. So we're getting ahead of ourselves. I just want to say this, that it says that in that passage, we won't read it, but that God in chapter two, he took, he formed Adam out of the dust of the ground. He formed Adam and it says, and he breathed into him the breath of life and in that moment, Adam's eyes if you've ever seen somebody have like resuscitation, Adam of course wasn't being resuscitated, he was being suscitated (laughs) And, and God blew, I want you to get this picture that in that moment when the face of God blew inside of his son and the son's eyes would have woken up what was the only thing that his son would have seen? The face of the father Burning love, piercing eyes into one another's souls. This is what we were created for, was intimacy and fellowship of a father and a son. That's what you and I were created to do. I'll throw daughters in there as well. So mankind was created to share unique, spiritual, and intimate father-child relationship. I, I, I know I've said this three times already, but let's say it a fourth time. That's what you and I were created for. And I'm saying that because we, we know that. But sometimes our belief system is that we were really created to do the will of God. The will of God doing it comes from being with Him. Yes. Not doing so that, Dad, you, did you see what I did for you? Do you love me yet? Am I good enough? It's that you're being with Him. And in the presence of God, in the love, the unconditional love of God that sent Jesus to a cross, you fellowship and you get a glimpse of His heart and as you get a glimpse of His heart for you as well as for the world around you, you go and do the will of God, not trying to earn anything. Being loved and loving. Is this making sense? So why did Jesus come? If you'll look with me to John chapter 17, she I love this scripture. John chapter 17. This is this is the kind of known as the high priestly prayer of Jesus, right at the end. He's on his way to the cross. You can imagine his last prayer as he was seeking the Father that he had trusted all the way up to this point. And he knew that his time has come. He knew that the cross was the only thing that left between him and finishing what he had been sent to do. You can imagine that this prayer was probably coming from a deep place in his heart, in his soul. And he says in verse 1, after Jesus said this, he looked toward heaven and prayed, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people, that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. Pause there. Eternal life. And in our beloved evangelical church, we have equated eternal life means we go down, some of you may know the Romans road, and we... Believe this and we confess this and we do this so that the exchange is made so that when we die, we can go to heaven. That's what eternal life is, right? And this, verse 4, 3, is eternal life that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I thought eternal life was this thing that happened when I die, I'm gonna be with Jesus forever. Yes, it is. But it doesn't start there. And that's not what it's about. It's not about a reward called heaven, so that if I was good enough, I can go to heaven, I can be with the good people, and all. Eternal life is restoring what the original purpose had always been in. <sighs> Relationship. Knowing. Are you catching this? Yes. This is what Jesus came to do. Pause there. Just some points that we want to draw out. Knowing God and being known by Him has always been our purpose. Now, what do you say, knowing God and being known by Him? There is something in relationship with Jesus you can't really know Him unless we make ourselves known to Him. In other words, the same fig leaves that man tried to put over themselves in the garden when they sinned because they saw their shame, it is the removing of those fig leaves and allowing God to see what's really in there. And when you see it and He sees it and you both acknowledge I have a need for you, then you really see Him for who He is. So knowing Him, being known by Him has always been our purpose. Another point that I just want to draw out, God took the initiative to make the relationship right. There have been times over the past 20 years that we've been married where one of us did something to the other. Minda I speak of, obviously. Where we offended the other or upset the other. And... Um, when that happens, usually, if she has upset me, I can't even fathom that I was the one that actually is to blame in the situation because clearly she's in the wrong, right. and vice versa. Now, in this equation of what happened at the fall with mankind, God was right, He didn't do anything, and yet, who was the one who took the initiative? To make the situation right. Right? It would be way more. Than me going to Minda. When I know she's the one that's wrong. And saying look. You know humbling myself. I want to know is, whatever I've done wrong. I want, to, I want to make this thing right. God has done way more. So what I'm wanting to say. Second point is that God took the initiative. To make the re- your relationship with him right. Even when he was not at fault. Let that. Penetrate into your relationship with Him. And then another point serving God comes from knowing and being led, not performing. Serving God comes from knowing. Far more than serving Him for Him is that you know Him and that you're known by Him. Far more important. Serving is the natural byproduct, doing His will. Any heart that's genuinely encountered the Lord will want to go do the will. Why? Because you, you have an epiphany and there's nothing else that matters from that point forward. Where else will we go? You're the one with the words of eternal life. We've seen who you, you your glory of your kingdom it, it, it far transcends anything I can get in this world. But you don't get there by serving him. You serve because of that. Knowing him. So let's move on. The church. So it, it, we, we get all that that I've just said. Sometimes what we kind of get mixed up is that then we have this thing called the church on the earth. And the church, well, that's you know that's about uh, DeMario waking up in time so that he can be here to help set up the sound system. And that's, you know, Sharon, she's making the coffee this morning. And that's, you know, we, it's the grind. It's the getting the stuff done. And I want to suggest to you that the same pattern of what we just heard of what was restored to us between God and man is the exact same pattern of his intention for the church. It's relationship. We like that, but that also means we've got to know and be known as a priority. I hope that makes sense. So, if you don't believe me, let's prove it through the scripture. Number one, number one, the first pattern of the church was Jesus's ministry. And Jesus's ministry, check this out. Jesus did not have a big building and he got all the people and he advertised well and he got a crowd going and he got Now he did do stuff publicly and he did have a crowd, but that wasn't the church. The church were those called disciples. And as a main pattern, the disciples they were following Jesus day by day, living together, eating together. Can I say they smelled one another's stinky feet on the journey? They heard the cheesy joke that that person said and they got used to the, the, the problem, that personality problem that that other person has, that irritating habit that he has. They, do you, are you getting what I'm saying? They, th- this wasn't getting dressed in their Sunday best and they'll, I'll see you next week. This was family. This was doing life together. This was warts and body odor. For three to three and a half years, this is what they did. Luke 5.11 says this, So when they pulled their boats up from the shore, they left everything and followed Him. And a community following Jesus became the first pattern for what church was. People being sanctified, following the one who is completely holy, yeah. but doing it in community. Okay. There was no, hey, uh, you know, good, good, meet, good service today, Jesus. Yeah. Uh, I just want to let you know I can't make next Sunday, and, uh, and we're going to be because we're going to be out. No, no, no. This was like daily life together. Mm-hmm. So I'm not. I'm not trying to say you know. We're going to become a cult. That's where this is going. So where do we Right. I'm, I'm. not suggesting that, but I am. <laughs> yes, that's right. I'm not saying. I'm not saying that, but I am saying this is the pattern. Is living together. It was far transcendent of meetings, of services. So I don't even know what a service. What does that even mean? A church service. What does that even mean? Who's being served? I don't know. Yeah, that's a good question. We are the church. Yes. At a, at a bare minimum, doing this and gathering together on Wednesday nights is a way to facilitate this biblical value of establishing in the earth what He has willed in heaven. So, I would say uh, the first local church ever, because you know the community that were following Jesus weren't. Technically the church, because they hadn't been born again yet, and then the Spirit was poured out and they became born again. And the first local church ever, the Church of Jerusalem. If you'll look with me, Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47. Let's look at how the 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 scriptures would describe that church community. Acts two, forty-two to forty-seven. It says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. If you've been with us on Wednesday nights, you've heard me mention this. There are four things, pillars of local church fellowship and community that are mentioned here. The first is apostles' teaching, which means the preaching and teaching of the Word of God. The second is fellowship. The third is breaking of bread. And the fourth is prayer. Can I point out that 50% of those four things, those four pillars are directly relationship builders. we, want, we, we say it's all about the teaching. We go to church and, and so that we can get our word so we can be, we can be fed and we can go off into our own little world and just live off of the, the feeding. That's not church. Breaking of bread is just as, more, as important as the breaking of spiritual bread. Yeah. Eating chicken biryani. I love you, Jesus. Mm. Your will for the church is so perfect. Yes. Right? Eating pizza together. What did we have this past Wednesday? Nacho. Nachos. Heaven on earth, my friends. Yes. Jalapenos. Two out of the four are directly relationship building. Let's go on. Verse 43. Everyone, listen to this, seriously. Listen to this descriptor of the first local church as a pattern. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. Verse 44. All believers, listen to this, were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Listen to this. Verse 46. Every day they continued to meet together. This is not just going to hear what the pastor has to say. In the temple courts, they broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Are you kind of catching a a glimpse of the continuation of what Jesus started into that first local church? They didn't just like stop and all of a sudden become churches you and I know it in the western world in the 21st century. Where it's about the pastor's name and it's about the name of the church and it's about the awesome children's ministry that we can provide for your family. This was a community. I want to say that in our digital Age that God has a solution to the isolationism of our generation yearning for community. It's called the local church. Yeah, and even if people are afraid of community and being known by people and actually knowing, I want to say that people are yearning for this. And they're most certainly yearning for re- reconciled relationship with a father who really, really loves them. In both of those things, in the local church, God meets the need that is the longing of every soul. Amen. Let's build that, my friends. Let's be family. Let's actually open up our hearts to him and be known, and let's be known by him and know him, and then let's be known and known by each other. I'm not saying that you open up your deepest, darkest secret and weakness to every person in the church, by the way, just as a, an asterisk. little addendum will attach to that. There is, there is certain relationships and trust, but if there's no one, who's walking a journey with you, who can speak into your life, I would say, we're probably not really accessing the full benefit of the local church. Local church several decades after this. Real quick, let's just read the Romans chapter 16. You can flip over there. I love this. It's amazing. Most people skip over chapter 16 of Romans after this amazing theological treatise that Paul writes. People quote it all the time a theological masterpiece called the letter of Paul to the Romans. And he ends it in chapter 16 with a whole bunch of, you know, greetings and say this to this person, say that to that person. I want us to take note of what is inherent in this chapter of relationship at a local church level. Verse 1 says, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a deacon in the church in Centrea." I ask you to receive her in the Lord in a way worthy of his people, And to give her any help, she may have need from you, for she has been a benefactor of many people, including me. Can you hear the personal one-on-one relationship of Paul with this local church that he's speaking to? This whole thing is like relationship. Verse 3, greet Priscilla and Aquila, my co-workers in Christ Jesus, calling people by name. They risked their lives for me, Not only I, but all the churches of the Gentiles are grateful to them. There's a certain honor that Paul is giving. He's encouraging the Romans to have a right relationship with Priscilla and Aquila and to honor them based on what they really mean in the kingdom of heaven and have meant to Paul. Do you see see that? It's kind of like what I was doing, not meaning to do this, but kind of like what we were doing with Rebecca earlier. Mm -hmm. Let's give honor where honor is due. Let's, it's personal. Verse 5, Greet also the church that meets at their house. Did you hear that? The church that meets at their house. I imagine that church was probably not all about the performance of one and, and, the, and the, the steady listening of everyone else. They were meeting in a house. Greet my dear friend Eponetus who is the first convert to Christ in the province of Asia. Greet Mary, who worked very hard for you. Greet Andronicus and Junia, my fellow Jews who have been in prison with me. They are outstanding among the apostles, and they were in Christ before I was. Greet Ampliatus, my dear friend in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our co-worker in Christ, and my dear friend, help me, Rodney. Uh, stockies. Stockies, we'll say. Greet Apelles. Whose fidelity to Christ has stood the test. Greet those who belong to the household of Aristobulus. Greet Herodian, my fellow Jew. Greet those in the household of Narcissus that's a great name who are in the Lord. Greet Tryphena and Trifosa, those women who work hard in the Lord. Greet my dear friend Persis. Another one. He didn't have to say all this. Another woman who has worked very hard in the Lord, greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, and his mother, listen to this, who, was, who has been a mother to me too. Amen. This is not just about meetings and organization called church. This is personal. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Greet <clears throat> Asyncritus, Phlegion, Hermes, Patrobus, Hermes, and the other brothers and sisters with them. Greet Philogus, Ju- Julia, Nereus and his sister, and Olympus, and all the Lord's people who are with them, greet one another with a holy kiss. <laughs> let, that be our, let that be our pattern, and I'm not talking about the kiss. Some of that could be cultural. Uh, let that, nevertheless, this, my friends, is local church yeah. Jesus did not die so that we would have successful entities and organizations called churches Jesus died to restore what has always been the pattern, it is relationship and I believe that which is uh, healthy multiplies, that which is healthy bears fruit, it will have impact I'm not saying that we don't want to have serious impact, but that's not the goal the goal is to be impacted so that the one who impacts us impacts through us. And we form something of the atmosphere of heaven in the earth, in the atmosphere of the local church. Modern day false concepts is that a church is a building to go to, church is a business, it's a, it's a consumer driven business. Hello, America. Like I go to McDonald's instead of Burger King, I go to Border City Church instead of this other church. This is, this, this is you're not you're not you know paying ties to you know for as a gift and uh, for for services rendered. Yeah. You and I are the church. We do this thing together. It's fellowship and it's community. Church. Another false idea is that church is a place where the pastor performs and we listen. Mm-hmm. I want to say this. This is church. You ready? Church. Is a community of people following Jesus together. Amen. <laughs> Church. That sounds a whole lot like what the disciples of Jesus were in the Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. A community of people following Jesus together. But I am the church, so I have a relationship with God, and I don't really need to be a part of a church because I am the church, right? Because that's biblical, right? No. Mm-hmm. Jesus still loves you. You can be born again. That, that's not the pattern and design or purpose of local church. And every believer is to be a, knit into a local church somewhere in the body of Christ to follow Jesus with other people. Yes, you and I follow him ourselves but we that happens in the context of community and having said that what are some takeaways that we could quickly say prioritize being together in our schedules not as a duty I'm hoping that through what we're saying here we're going to see the the value the purpose the reason the why why do we want to spend time together why is that a priority? Another thing would be prioritize quality of relationship. Can I say that I've seen too often in church people who really have had an encounter with the Lord, but because of a lack of reality of relationship, they never break through strongholds. They're ridden with insecurities and fears. And no one's let in. Because we've built a community where we sit in a chair and we look one direction and then afterwards we pray and we say goodbye and repeat the next week. When in fact our breakthrough comes in the context of community with people who actually speak into our lives. But we got to let the fig leaves off. Are you following? Prioritize quality of relationship. What do I mean by that? Open up. Be known. Allow others to see. Allow others to speak in. I'm not saying allow everybody to, to see everything and I'm not allow, saying ev- allow everyone, but if there's no one in our lives that really know what's going on in our heart and our problems and our journey, and I'm not just talking about our spouse, that's, that's lacking somewhere. And I would also say carry others in the body as though they're a part of yourself. Quality of relationship. Tomorrow is not here right now. We carry that. That's not just Tamora's problem. That's my problem. She's physically not well today. Of course, her daughters are here and they're like, <laughs> she's, she's watching Jeopardy right now. No. I don't know. But what, what we know, <laughs> what we've heard, is she's had some serious physical complications. That's my problem. And then uh, I would say, follow him with the body yes, follow Jesus, have your own relationship with him, that's wonderful. But everything he's doing is in the context of what he's building his church. And so oftentimes it's just me and Jesus. And I want to hear, and this is what Jesus is leading me into. How does that fit into the bigger picture of what he's building around you? And so having said that, let's let's look at this last and final very important part. You doing all right? We fulfill our call. So we've looked at... Why Jesus came. He came to restore us to relationship with God. Now we just looked at the idea that the whole the church, those who have been restored in relationship with God, this church community is all about relationship. And now we want to end it with pointing out that we fulfill our call as the church through relationship. In other words, it's not just the community of the church, it's also the mission of the church. What was the mission of Jesus? To restore relationship. So the church that is sent on His behalf is simply in the business, can I say, of relationship. We make preaching the gospel about getting on our soapbox on the corner and heralding to a bunch of people that have no trust in us the gospel and I haven't yet met somebody who came to the Lord through that means, but I want to suggest that as a normal, ordinary step one of how we fulfill our commission of making disciples is having a relationship with people. Yeah. Quality relationship where we're transparent, where we're not putting on a show and acting like we've got all our lives all together because if they see any weakness in us, they're not going to be able to receive Jesus. People seeing your weakness may be the, the thing that causes them to actually receive what you have to say about Jesus. I'm struggling with this. I've struggled with this. Jesus has been doing something in my life. Jesus has been doing something. Tell me more about that. Whatever that conversation may look like. We fulfill our call through relationships. So what is our call? Our call, if you look with me, Matthew 28. We looked at this on Wednesday. Let's read it quickly again. Our call is to go and make disciples. Matthew twenty-eight eighteen says this. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. There's your commission. Go and make disciples. And according to that scripture, what is making disciples? I would say that verse 20 is, is, is incredibly important. Teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. What's our call? Okay, sorry. According to verse 18, what's our call? And... Yes, go and make disciples. And what, we know that baptizing is a part of that. That means they've got to come to a, a, their faith in Jesus, and they, they affirm that by being baptized. Um, but then how do we make disciples? Because that's converts. Baptizing somebody, that's not making disciples. That's just making a convert. How do we make disciples? Teaching them to observe, to walk in everything I have commanded you. Simple formula. I have a relationship with Jesus. He has commanded things of me. In my relationship, I hear his word. As I follow and implement his word, I have that word to give away to others. It's not theory. It's life. It's something that has impacted and transformed me. I now have it to give away. There's discipleship. Bring people to Jesus. Baptize them. We need to get away from that, by the way. I think in church we've made too much about this altar call thing like that's re- replace baptism like they have to come forward in front of everybody and if they're not ashamed of the son of god that he's going to be ashamed of that you know and this whole thing and we come up there was none of that in the new testament people got baptized yeah. if you if you receive jesus get dunked yeah. <laughs> yes that's what we need to be doing i'm not like, opposed to a altar call but make sure people are baptized right Sharon yes. get baptized <laughs> And then secondly, once they're baptized, we don't just say, okay, now for the rest of your life, come to church on Sunday, pay your tithes, try to go to community group, pray and be good, change what you're dressed, how you're dressed, start speaking like a Christian, saying praise God and hallelujah. No, no, no. I'm probably offending people now. (laughs) Honestly, I'm not trying to offend. I'm just saying, like... This is what we do. We walk in relationship with them and we give to them everything that Jesus has given us. Simple formula. That happens in the context of healthy relationships based on trust where people sense love from us. Just like they didn't know the love of God in the garden, and so therefore they disobeyed, we want to undo that by loving people with the love that we've received so that they can learn to trust us and trust Jesus in us and help them grow. And as we're all doing this, what's going to happen in the city of Detroit? As we're all doing that. So what is making disciples? It's simply helping others to live in what Jesus has taught you and that you are actually living in. He says, Go, therefore. And like, and if you look at the original Greek word of go, guess what it really means? Go. <laughs> it means don't stay. Go. Go, like, be mobile. The, the church was framed with these words. Mobility, action, intentionality. Go and make disciples. You, it's not something that just happens. We don't just pray and ask God to send the lost to us. And No, no, no. You go. Pray the Lord of the harvest to send laborers, not send the harvest. You go into the harvest. That's where this thing is found. And I would say, if we're doing that, then perhaps we should consider some advice from our Jesus, our Lord, our pattern, who was accused... Of being friends of sinners. Mm. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> Luke 7:34, the Son of God came eating and drinking. Praise the Lord. <laughs> Some of you don't get as excited about eating as I do. <laughs> I'm thinking nachos when I read that. He came eating and drinking, and you say, Here is a glutton. <laughs> Sorry, here's a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners, and I want to ask the question, has our church accused of such? Mm -hmm. Because if we're going, this is what it looks like. We are friends with people that we ought not to be friends with according to the religious institutional way. And let me warn you, they're not going to act like church people when you're friends with them. That's right. Are you prepared to handle that? Mm-hmm. As a family, we have intentionally had our oldest son go to a charter public school because we don't want him to only experience his upbringing in the confines of church. Yeah. If he's going to have an impact in the world, he needs to learn to follow Jesus where it's most difficult. And I'd say you're doing well, by the way. Well done, bud. I I, I can say that because I've had communication with him and and talked to him through his journey. He has followed Jesus. And yes, there are struggles and all that kind of stuff. Well done. He is leaning into being an ambassador. So, like I asked, would we be accused of being friends of sinners? Do we eat and drink regularly with the unchurched? Please don't just hear this as a good point, Pastor. That's, you know, good. No, no, no. I'm asking the question because we need to be doing this. And if we're not doing it, let's change it. Like now. Eating and drinking. You know what I mean by that. I'm not saying getting drunk. We've made the goal people getting saved rather than the goal being the people themselves. Jesus didn't reach people so that there was a notch or a tick or another one saved. Jesus reached people because they were the prize. Relationship with them is the prize. And if we believe that the goal is to reconcile relationship with God, shouldn't our desire also to be to have relationship with the same person as well? That that in fact is the goal and that them coming to Jesus through that relationship is certainly a goal. That's what we're looking for. Don't get get it wrong, but it's not so that they can make this transaction to where they go to heaven when they die. It's so that they come into the family of God and they have with us relationship with the Father and with the rest of the children. Relationship. Funny enough, we start that journey before the transaction happens. We start, we start with the goal at the beginning. Does that make sense? Yeah. You start with relationship, which is the goal. And pretty soon as they get to know you, they get to know what's inside of you and who is inside of you. And then before long, he's also inside of them. Two things I would just say from that. Do something, and you may say, you've said this to us before, I'm going to say this to myself every day, every week, and I'm probably going to be saying it a lot to us over the next while. Do something, number one, every week to build relationship with someone who isn't in church and who's not following Jesus. Did everybody catch that? Do something every week with intentionality, building relationship with someone who's not in church if we want to reach the harvest, this is how it starts. And then secondly, I would say, bring someone with you every, every Sunday. Why? Because what we're wanting to expose people to is the gospel. And that's like low-lying fruit. People are going to hear the gospel every time they come into a place where the gospel is being orated. So, those two things, build relationship with somebody intentionally every week. Something. That could be a phone call, that could be a coffee, that could be having them over for a meal, that could be send them a text, that could be send them an email, that could be call, pray for them. Maybe God's going to put something on your heart for them and you can call them or you can even text them something to reach out to somebody who's not in church to be the one who's in their life. That could be nothing spiritual at all, pure relationship. You're building a bridge And uh, I would say this. Let's end it here. This, what we just said, this is the first step of people knowing Him. You make the first step. You go. He left heaven. He came to earth to save us. Now He sends you and me. We make the first step. We go after. We seek and save that which is lost. As the Father sent me, so I send you. But I thought that that meant that I have to go to Africa on a mission trip. And that's. No. Every day. You don't go to Africa every day. But you do go to the grocery store. You do go to your office. Sent. So this is the first step of people knowing him. This is the first step of rebuilding ruins. I'm referencing Isaiah 61. We all want to see ruins rebuilt in people's lives. How does it begin? Picking up a phone, sending a text message, having a coffee. This, what we're talking about right now, is the first step of you being a rebuilder of ruins. Yeah. Ruins being rebuilt, and you being a rebuilder of ruins.